I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Malian, and I am flanked by two of the most uh, trusty lieutenants that anyone could ever ask for uh, on my left. It is Jack Pitbrook, our man about London Town. Hi, Ed. How are you? I am okay, thank you, sir. And to my right, Luke Brown, uh, our man around uh, the Emirates and a little bit of Wembley, I guess, sometimes. Um, Luke, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, It is Monday. It is Monday, which means we've survived another Premier League weekend, uh, a difficult weekend. Um, But we're going to be mainly previewing the Ryder Cup this week. Is that right, guys? Uh, No. Uh, okay, so no no golf fans, uh, well, either side of me, there is there is a golf fan in this room. I'll be off to the Ryder Cup on Wednesday, which is going to be epic. Johnny is already there, which is why, unfortunately, Johnny's not with us today. Miguel... Why is he there so early? Um, I think, it, I think it's more fun if you get there early. I, um, I have stuff when to do When does the golf week. actually start? Friday. Um, so I'm not getting there till Wednesday. I have stuff to do. But he is going to be there a week and probably writing some brilliant stuff, which, of course, I'm sure everyone will be reading. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's there, and Miguel is, I believe, interviewing a Premier League manager who um, I won't reveal yet. You'll have to work that out this week when it goes on the website, as ever, independent.co.uk/football to read all of that stuff. Uh, so, do you want to start with the weekend, guys? I guess that makes the most sense, rather than I don't know, previewing the Carabao Cup. Um, and that means, I guess, we we start focusing on the. What, what would you say is the biggest, most impactful result of this Premier League weekend, Jack Pitbrook? Uh. Brighton one, Tottenham two. Right. I'm saying that not because I'm a narcissist who can only see the world <laughs> through the prism of my own experiences, although that is who I am, but because it marks the ending of probably the one of the very few interesting stories in the Premier League season so far, which has been uh, the Tottenham crisis. Uh, Tottenham lost three games in a row, all by the score of 2-1, to Watford, Liverpool, Inter Milan. And, you know, their worst run in the Pochettino era, had they lost again on Saturday... Four, it would have been four defeats in the row for the first time since the David Pleat caretaker season Ooh, of 2003-04. Um, but they didn't. They won. And with that marks what I think it, I imagine will be like the kind of return to normality of Tottenham. It wasn't... I mean, they weren't at their best. They were... I thought they were nervous in the first half. I thought they were shown too much respect by Brighton. They cons- got lucky going ahead in the way that they did. Uh, with that weird penalty. Uh, they conceded some good chances in the second half and with better finishing, Brighton would have equalised. And who knows, maybe had Brighton equalised, then Brighton could have gone in to win the game. But Tottenham scored a second, they dug in, uh, they conceded a consolation goal. And I think in that result, you can see kind of glimmers of uh, the Tottenham revival, which could be the next big story of the autumn. Um, I thought it was Harry Kane's... Harry Kane said afterwards that it was his best all-round performance of the season so far. And was it, in your opinion? I think it was, actually, because I think the thing about Kane is that you can get you can get too worried about the finishing, when finishing is ultimately like quite cyclical and basically a function of confidence. Like The bigger issue is the positions. Is he getting in positions to score goals? And I know Kane scored a penalty in the first half, but that, 
that doesn't matter so much. In the second half, he was actually running in behind again and getting into good shooting positions and nearly put Tottenham 3-0 up in like the 91st minute just before Brighton scored their goal. And the, I know he didn't score. And, it, you know, there was a lot of attention similarly on Tuesday night in Milan with the chance where he ran in behind, Ericsson found him, he got his second touch wrong. And people were like, oh, no, he screwed up again. Look how rubbish he is. But in reality, or at least in, if, for me, um, the fact that Kane is getting into those dangerous goal-scoring positions again is indicative of the fact that he is starting to play better. Maybe he is moving better. Maybe he is pl- playing with a bit more confidence, a bit more trust in himself. And I I mean, I, I, I could well be wrong, but I, I imagine that that marks the start of Kane starting to find his rhythm again. Sometimes it's almost like he needs to have trust in his teammates as well because quite often when you watch Kane when Spurs aren't playing very well and particularly when England weren't playing all that well in the World Cup in patches and he drops so deep to try and make things happen and then the ball will end up going forward and he's nowhere to be seen. Yeah, I completely agree. That's actually one of the most interesting things about Kane recently is that so at the World Cup, he had that deeper role with Sterling running, running in behind. So Kane would kind of... It was almost like the goal was not to get Kane running in on goal, but to get Kane like 20, 25 yards from goal and then he could either play a pass or shoot from distance. And I think it's not... It's not really making the most of Kane. It's not really making the most of his physicality. Like I know, I actually, I mean, I remember Miguel saying once in his podcast that Kane doesn't actually mind that because he likes the creative stuff too. But I think you really want Kane kind of testing out defenders with those runs. Um, and similarly, at the start of this season, his role has been like his role in the World Cup. But instead of with Sterling running it behind, it's been with Lucas Moura. Yeah. Uh, and he's, you know, Kane can. I don't think, I think if you do that, you are taking Kane out of his most dangerous areas. You're getting somebody else to do that running and you're using Kane in a role which I don't think is necessarily his best role and which gets him further away from goal when he's such a good goal scorer. Do you think it was a crisis even though it was only three games? Um, no, uh, it depends on what you mean cri- I think it, it was a crisis by like uh, journalists who cover the Premier League stand, like <laughs> definition. Like it, well, it's it, a 38-game season so like three games in, in, a, in a row defeat is but for the first time right. under Poch, yeah, yeah but no, even, I, I, I get think, that, but it is still it like was still it, their worst run under Poch. And also, I, I think I, just, I, I do think it was the best story of the season so far. I mean, because we all thought it would be a sort of like Mourinho crisis would be the story of the season. Yeah. That hasn't quite happened, although I still think that that is like very much like a, a real possibility. Um, like I've got a lot of st- I've got some stick on Twitter for for saying the Spurs crisis is over, and I'm kind of like I'm slightly tongue in cheek, but equally like yeah, by the standards of how we talk about these things, it, it is it is a real thing. It's a real phenomenon. I mean, the Champions League is a big worry, isn't it? Because having lost at the San Siro, the way they're playing at the minute, you can't imagine they're going to get anything against Barcelona, and yeah. then you know Inter Milan at Wembley, having to win that game, that suddenly becomes quite a big yeah. It's weird. Test. You're right, they are really up against it. I kind of, I think they'll scrape it. Just, I think they are actually a better team than Inter. Even though they... Inter even, were awful. Even, <laughs> even though they lost that game, I, I kind of didn't come away that impressed by Inter. Like, Inter charged around a lot for about 45 minutes, exhausted themselves, had nothing at all in the second half, looked a bit kind of like, oh no, this is like, God, what do we do now? And then they scored like a brilliant goal out of nowhere and then the fans were behind them, they scored a second. Mm. But I didn't, I think Spurs are just like a much more like organised, serious outfit. Like I wouldn't be, I would back Spurs to get more points against PSV and Barcelona combined than Inter would do. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm probably still just about back Spurs to get out of the group, but I think it might be a close shave. Well, we, uh, sorry, I forgot since the last podcast. Obviously, you were in Milan last week oh, yeah. for, for that, which was 
a disappointment for Pochettino. Um, and and you weren't you weren't exactly whacked in Newcastle without the performance there. I thought that I actually, I don't know I actually thought that I was less I was more positive about the Spurs performance at Inter than Johnny was, who was sat next to me, because I know that I thought Spurs were terrible in not terrible but I thought they looked a bit lost in the first half, and they were under a lot of pressure and they couldn't really keep the ball very well. And they never looked like scoring, really, apart from that. No, Kane had that one chance. But in the second half, actually, until they collapsed at the, at the end, I just thought Spurs were much better. Like, they dominated the ball. They allowed Inter to get tired. They, sco- they, they scored a fluky goal, but they could have. They had other, like, half chances as well. I think Lamellas could have scored two. Um, and they just looked like they had control of the pace of the game and were using their experience at that level. And, like... You know, if Icardi's if Icardi's volley hadn't gone in and it wouldn't go in like nine times out of ten, then everyone would have said, "Ah, oh, experienced Spurs, they're back in control, they're good again." Is it fair to say though that that was one of the few games I've watched where I thought it was fair to say that Pochettino lost that game? Quite often, it's his, you know, maybe his players letting him down, and and, and it's hard to criticize his tactics. But straight after that Liverpool game, which was a little bit suspect with the formation and some of the selections. And then his substitutions against Inter were really kind of quite baffling towards the end. And to take off Kane like yeah. three minutes from time when he's one of the best players at defending the ball in his own box. Yeah, I know. I think that I agree with you on that one. I thought that Lamella was a good introduction. Lamella was a good introduction. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when you when you t- when you take off Kane to put like Lucas through the middle, and you t- you you take and, off and Danny your, Rose just gave the ball away. Yeah, and you then take off your leader on the pitch. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Your kind of defensive set piece header away. The only play, the player that the opposition is scared of. Uh, it was like, uh, yeah, it's weird. It's the kind of, it's not very. It doesn't strike me as being a very Pochettino thing to do. I can't remember no. him ever having done it before. He's been a bit out of character this season, hasn't he? I mean, some of, I, I actually think he's. So he's had some criticism for some of the kind of colourful metaphors and the press conference rants or whatever. I think a lot of those are quite clever because he's actually kind of making sure that the, um, you know, the post-match press stuff is on him rather than some of his yeah. players. But. Like leaving Alderweireld and Trippier at home, which still hasn't been complete. Yeah, so I, I, there's a few, there's a few theories floating around about that. Um, I, so Pochettino has called it a technical decision, and obviously Pochettino hates being put on the spot about team selection. Like he doesn't like, he doesn't like the idea that he has to justify and explain why he chose player A over player B. Um, I, there, and then he he kind of he suggested in his press conference on Thursday of last week that Trippier had been exhausted after the United game so like suggesting that that was that was the reason why uh why Trippier was not taken to Milan I think that it is to do with how angry Pochettino was with uh the way that Trippier and Alderweireld used the ball in the Liverpool game so the Liverpool game at Wembley last Saturday uh Spurs were meant to play out from the back but they didn't really do it properly they looked uh, even though Liverpool allowed them to come out and then kind of Trippier and Alderweireld kept giving the ball away every time and then Liverpool would attack. It was uh, it was kind of, it was so far from what Pochino wanted. Pochino hammered them, certainly in public, on the sat- on the Saturday in his Monday presser. And, uh, I th- and I'm sure he did the same thing in private. And I think that uh, Poch- the not taking Alderweireld and Trippier too in... To the to enter last week was for that reason. Um, there's other, you know, there's there are other theories going around about why they might not have why they not might not have been taken. I think some people think that there's like 
after this kind of strange summer that Spurs have, that Pochettino needs to reassert a bit of authority. I'm not sure if that's the kind of guy he is. He's he was very clear with us that he's like, oh no, I would never drop players to punish them. But I I kind of think that's the reason. It's to do with how they use the ball. Kind of had a fifty fifty result in the end as well, didn't it? Because I thought Aurier against Inter Milan was brilliant. Yeah, and I, I actually I, I don't get when you know when people pick their like best 11s from the Premier League or yeah. whatever. I'm always baffled that Trippier makes so many because I don't even think he's the best right back at the club, let alone well, in the league. I mean, there's a little bit of love for him because of what he did with England. I think. But he wasn't even playing right back for England, so he was just kind of alleviated of all this defensive responsibility, which people then credit him. No, for. I think I think he's one of those guys who's a nice story, and and he's clearly a, a very able player. I mean, the thing about Aurier is, is Aurier is like the opposite. Actually, he's a better player than people think. And yeah, his one v one defending he, is. But he makes some like huge high profile mistakes yeah. and has made some huge high profile mistakes notably like penalty decisions and stuff when it really mattered whereas but, but Trippier takes a nice free kick yeah exactly yeah so but but that's I guess that's the thing as well is like uh, it, it helps in an era of, of highlight culture and, and, and where things where people's attention span is like a gif or whatever uh, I won't pronounce it gif it just doesn't sound right um, and so you see Trippier whipping in a free kick and it's like oh another assist for Trippier great or like or also the world of just like where Lots of people consume football through fantasy more than actually lots of actual football. Like yeah, that's fair. I was at uh, Palace on Saturday, nil-nil against Newcastle. Don't need to talk about that much. But he, um, so he being Wilfred Zaha, Wilfred Zaha went off in the, the warm-up with an injury. Like clearly something wrong with him. Um, in the end, I think Roy said he thought it was a back spasm. But but Zaha played. But he went down the tunnel before the during the warm-up and, and then came out and still like didn't warm up with the drills and kind of couldn't get right. And I had so many people replying to me over talking about like fantasy. You know, loads of people. There are a huge ninety percent of people who know about Will Zaha almost don't care how he actually plays. All they're thinking is points. Yeah, like, same reason it. everyone that, loves Wamba Saka. Yeah, it's just exactly the same thing with Wamba Saka. Wamba Saka got hit by a beer bottle thrown by a <laughs> no Newcastle fan that. later in the game, and that exact thing again. It, it was you know, does he get extra fantasy points for this? That there is an element of does that. He? Uh, I don't know. I'm talking to FPL, and I should have Plus an answer one. by midday. But it's one of those things where Trippier is is a player who you know he provides fantasy value and, and, and highlight value, whereas as Aurier, I guess has certainly got a higher pedigree as a defender, as an out and out defender. You know he was at Toulouse, he was very highly rated, and then and then he went on and it didn't work out, and that's why he ended up at Spurs. But he's still a guy who has a high pedigree of being a top class central defender right back yeah. left back yeah, I would like to see Aurier play more I'd also like to see Rose play more I thought Rose was really good on can Saturday. you play Aurier and Rose do you think um, why don't it depends you think on the they game I, they both just bomb he, forward he, I thought he gave Spurs something extra on Saturday Like I mean he got the assist for Lamella's goal he being Rose but he uh, yeah uh, but he, he's I mean he's just quicker than Davis he's yeah. more dangerous than Davis um, yeah, he plays higher up the pitch, but I think that Spurs need that because uh, they are quite a narrow team. Why yeah. do you think Ben Davis plays more? Um, well, there's Rose. I th- you know, the, obviously the Rose situation at Tottenham is a, is a pretty strange one. He tried to force a move last summer. It didn't happen, although it kind of nearly did for you know fifty fifty five million to to Chelsea. Since then, his you know he's kind of been not fully frozen out by Pochettino, but certainly relegated to the sort of b-string it's hard to come back yeah it's hard to come back from that sort of situation uh and you know he's, he he's obviously had knee surgery uh which has really changed what he can do as a player i think or certainly he's not the player that he was just before that that knee injury which but is now a long time like that's, that's significant though isn't it if if if, it, if you who watch spurs regularly and cover spurs regularly if you think that he is a, a clearly inferior player to what he was before yeah. 
then then it's no surprise perhaps that Pochettino thinks the same. Yeah, and um, you know, in the summer Spurs tried to sell him. The price had to come. <laughs> the price came down <laughs> from all the way down to like 45, 40, 35, 20, 25 million. Didn't have any takers. Tried to loan out to Schalke. That didn't happen. And now Rose is still here. Like. Um, in this kind of strange position, in this strange position, because Tottenham couldn't sell him in the summer, uh, but despite all of that, he's a really good player, uh, and I think he is. If he can kind of get a rhythm of games going again, I think he could still be, he can still be good enough uh, to make the Tottenham first team. I was so surprised when he came back because I mean, like we all know how much Pochettino idolizes Sir Alex Ferguson yeah. and kind of you know absolutely loves him and. In in the past, when he's had arguments with players, they haven't returned. So he must have really had to kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's one of the interesting things about Spurs this season is that in the past, it's been so much like yeah, kind of Ferguson style. It's my way or out yeah. type management in which any player who has crossed Pochettino, fallen out with him, has never ever played for Spurs again. R- remember Andros Townsend a few years ago? Yeah, falls out with Pochettino, never plays for Spurs again. Uh, or the way he got rid of like Adebayor, Lennon, uh, Bentaleb, Kabul, Kapu, Asawakoto, all those guys in the first few years. And it was a very, very ruthless form of management. And that kind of, that's, I think that, I think that scares players into obedience, basically, because they think, well, I don't really want to angle, I might want to move, but I'm not going to push for a move because I know that if I upset the manager, then I'm not going to play. And even when Walker, even when Walker pushed for a move, he, yeah, he got the move, but he had to basically have the sort of indignity of being like demoted behind Trippier for the end of that season before he got his move to Manchester City. Uh, so it's obvious in twenty what the summer of twenty seventeen. So uh, clearly, like there's a culture of obedience and loyalty at Tottenham, which has been driven by Pochettino. However, in the last year, both Rose and Alderweireld have pushed for moves away from Tottenham, have not got them because Tottenham couldn't sell them, and they're now back in the team. Like, all the Weirolds uh, more often than Who Rose do you blame for Tottenham not being able to sell them, though, Jack? Uh, probably prices, but I think... Um, yeah, I think maybe they ask for more money, or maybe it's difficult to, to sell players in their late 20s to the Premier League if you can't sell them to United, yeah. ultimately. But um, now that all the and Rose are back in the Tottenham first team, that means that, like, I, I want... I just, this is just my theory, but I wonder whether the same like whether the same culture can survive in the same way, right? Because players who tried to move are now back in the team, and that means that I wonder if you're like another Tottenham first team player who might be thinking, yeah, maybe I would like to move, but I don't really want to risk it. Now you see Rose and Alderweire back in the team, you think, well, what's the disincentive? Like, what's the disincentive to pushing for a move if these guys can push and f- can push for a move and live to tell the tale? And I wonder whether this will have an effect going forward on like the contract negotiations for Christian Eriksen or Deli Alley, uh, who are you know players that Tottenham would love to have, would love to re-sign up, players who have been who have attracted interest from big clubs elsewhere, and they might be thinking, well, you know, if Rosenwald can have a go, stay in the, have a go, it doesn't work and stay in the team, then why shouldn't I? And I suppose that's been exacerbated by the Harry Kane contract as well, hasn't it? Now that wage ceiling's been lifted so much. Wasn't there, there a story in the last the couple of days that, uh, I'm just checking, it was in the Sun, uh, that Harry Kane's new contract had upset teammates um, and they were demanding raises. I mean, we knew Ericsson and Ali were probably due for more cash. And, and you know, we've, we've criticised Tottenham for a while. Well, not cri- I, I mean, I think it's incredible they get players to sign up for 
less than market rate. I mean, that's a yeah. successful thing to do. But what they've also uh, done is kind of, you know, maybe annoy some of their players because everything has to be perfect. Like to, to keep that perfectly incubated system where you're underpaying play- people yeah. with the promise of greater things to come, like it has to keep going. And, and that's the biggest fear about when they go on like a three-game losing run or whatever is if this thing starts to fall apart, if the wheels start to fall off, the, uh, my problem with Spurs is that the whole thing could fall apart very quickly. If you suddenly, if two or three, if, if one player, I think, if they sell one major player who they don't want to sell, then you might lose two, you might lose three. Yeah. Because, it, you know, the pl- what the players don't want to see is a lack of ambition. And so far what they've seen is, is great ambition and, and the extension of Harry Kane and all these other things. But you got if you're Christian Eriksen, you know it's got to be like, well, okay, well, I've enjoyed my time at Spurs, but what comes next? You need to see what's coming next. You need a bit more, something a bit more solid, I guess. Than, well, you know, we're punching above our weight again. Is that fair? Um, yeah, I agree. It's, I think that's why the next uh, this season and the Ali and Eriksen situations are going to be so are going to be so interesting and important. I think with interesting thing with Ali is that I mean he signed a few years ago and. I think he kind of had half an eye on which other clubs might be interested in him. But I think with Ali, he's now such a big name and a big player that there's only actually a very small number of clubs he could go to. Correct. Yeah, I mean, what, what do you think his market value is, really? I think it's whatever Levy asked for. I think, it, as in, I think it would have to be 100 million. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure what someone would pay for him right now because he. I mean, you 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 both watch Spurs a lot more than me, but over the last year, like it just seems like he hasn't had that. He hasn't been that great. I mean, he wouldn't get in like the Real Madrid team, would he, or but the Barcelona team? Do you know what? I think he can almost be like a, a Marcus Alonso. Like you know, so like when he should go on loan to Bolton. <laughs> is that what you're yeah. saying? When Alonso goes to Chelsea and he fits into that system yeah. so well, and he becomes this world class player, best in the world in that position. But it's such a specialised position. Yeah, Deli yeah, Ali yeah. is so important to how Pochettino plays his football, and he's so important between the lines and playing off the shoulder of Harry Kane. But if you just dumped him into Madrid's four three three. I just can't see him being right, successful yeah, at all. He's not a good enough midfielder for the midfield three, and he's not a good enough front player. For yeah, he's not physical enough to kind of do the Benzema. Three. Yeah, he's not. He's not Bale, is he? And he's also not Isco or Kroos. So I almost wonder if he's going to be one of these players who, you know, maybe Poch yeah. will get his big move one day and he'll follow. Exactly. Him. So that's why I was. So that's so basically, I know that Ali had or has had like half an eye on moves elsewhere over the last year or so, but equally, I know that the kind of interest that he was ho- he was hoping, you know, the interest that he was hoping for didn't really materialize. And that's why I think Spurs are now going to try and come back in this season with a new deal because they know that the like about a year ago I'd have said I thought Ali would be sold in the summer of 2019, but now I think that probably won't happen because I don't think the interest is there. So I think it's now more likely he'll sign an extension this year if Spurs can tie him down. Yeah, no, uh, that seems entirely reasonable. Uh, I'm trying to think of clubs where he'd fit. But you know, I, I don't really want to go around selling Spurs players. You know, they're, they're quite good at not doing that themselves. Um, any other results that we thought were particularly impactful this weekend? Man United drew at home with Wolves, of course. It doesn't seem to... I, I, I have to confess, I haven't seen that game, but it doesn't seem to be... The, the fallout from it doesn't seem to be kind of the, oh, Man United are dreadful sort of stuff. So is it fair to say that they play well? Uh. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, I didn't watch any of it. Um, I... Luke, have, have you seen it or is it it's a 0%? Well, I didn't watch any of it. No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, it's a 0%. I think so the, the, po- the Pogba quotes Yeah, Pogba's more interesting. Right, so... I mean, let me let me bring up these Pogba quotes because, um, as you say, it's unusual, really, for a player to. I guess, well, I guess it's not in in Pogba's situation. This is the second time this year that he's criticised Mourinho, right? And he said we should attack more. He said it was a mistake uh, for United not to attack as much as they did. Uh, I'll read you Critch's intro. Paul Pogba has called for Manchester United to attack, 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 in quotes, when at Old Trafford, as it is easier, in quotes, in an apparent criticism of Jose Mourinho's approach to home games. And the actual quotes themselves are, I think we didn't really start the game well, but we were winning 1-0, so it was positive for us. Then after the second half, we tried to defend a bit more against the counter-attack. We stopped playing forward like in the first half. We were playing higher, and I think that's how we conceded the goal. I know I lost the ball for the goal. Then a few more mistakes and not a lot of movement in front because we didn't really put them in trouble. We are at home and we should play much better against Wolves. When we are at home, we should attack, attack, attack. That's Old Trafford. We are here to attack. I think teams are scared when they see Man United attacking and attacking. That was our mistake today. Um, some criticism of Alexis Sanchez I've seen uh, for, for another poor game. So Pogba thinks they should be more attacking. I think pretty much every Man United fan will agree with that. Um but the biggest issue here is the dynamic. Yeah, yeah. How completely. does how does Jose Mourinho deal with one of his key players who he's already got a bit of an issue with? Let's be let's be frank. Um, coming out and saying this, and also, can you see the strings to Mina Raiola? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? it? It's not off. I can't remember many situations where, even when it got bad at Chelsea, when a Chelsea player would criticise Mourinho's tactics uh, after a bad result. I mean, it says a lot about the deterioration in Mourinho's kind of aura, I think, over the last few years. It's weird because it's, it's one of those things where I kind of, like, I don't disagree with Pogba's analysis of the game, although, of course, I haven't watched it. But that does, <laughs> although it does sound <laughs> in keeping... You've seen enough Jose Mourinho right, to I mean, know, that, yeah. That no, seems in keeping with people yeah, I know yeah. who, who were there. And, but I think, it's, I think that the Mourinho-Pogba situation is one of those things where... It's very easy, and I, I'm guilty of this myself, it's very easy and lazy to take a view of, like, Pogba is good and Mourinho is bad. Like, Pogba is this great player, and if Mourinho was... Mourinho hasn't been able to get the best out of him. And if Mourinho was a good manager who played attacking football and liked young players, then Pogba would be good, and therefore it's Jose's fault, and therefore they, Jose should go, and they should get the new manager who would get the most out of Pogba. Like, that is... That's a view you see quite a lot. Paint by numbers. And that's a view that I, like... Have been guilty of putting out myself a bit, but I, the if if when I'm honest with myself, it can't like it's not that simple. Like Pogba has to take some more responsibility for his performances. He's been there what two and a bit years. He costs eighty nine million pounds. He's obviously an incredible player. He's won the World Cup and everything. And yet, how many times has he played well for United? He, like he's also 10, got previous in doing this sort of thing. And it's also interesting how much the power dynamic at United has changed because even though obviously the Pogba who originally left Juve is very different from the you know record yeah. signing Pogba 
when he kind of announced that he wanted to leave the first time round, obviously Ferguson thought he was one of the best play, young players he'd seen, but was like, right, if you don't want to play for the club, you're going. And he went. Whereas now it's kind of like the club quite clearly support Pogba above Mourinho. Yeah. And, and Pogba, like, I, I remember reading, I think it was Danny Taylor's column in The, uh, in the Guardian about how when Pogba originally left France um, to go to United, he basically just kind of said, oh, I'm going to United now, see you later, didn't play in any other games. And I think it's Love. Yeah. yeah. They have like a board, basically, of all these famous players who have graduated from the club because they've got a really good academy. And there's no picture of Pogba because he left under such a cloud. So it is interesting how a player, and he's still young as well, he's hardly a a veteran player, has left consistently under these kind of clouds. Well, a man who spends that much time in Manchester will spend time under clouds. Um, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I know. I kind of agree. I think the the thing with uh, Pogba is obviously, you know, he has an agent who knows the value of his players and always has done. And what happens is they want to maximise that. And currently, he's not in a situation that maximises his value or gets the when, best out. When of did he go to Rayla? Do we know? Uh, he's been with Rayla for years and years. And yeah, years. since before he's with him since before. He went. He left U- United for Juventus, which is what. Sir Alex Ferguson does not feel so fondly about mm. Mino Raiola. You <laughs> may remember. I think Pogba's whole like flirting with Barcelona thing is embarrassing. I think when you're that when you're that well paid. And I, that I, I'll also add that I'm just I just don't think Barcelona have been doing this thing for the last couple of seasons as well, where they are trying to put out this illusion. And Real Madrid actually did it last year as well. They're trying to put out this illusion that they're kind of. They're poised to make a, an enormous splash in the world transfer market. Yeah, they haven't got the cash. Yeah, like you know, we we've seen all these massive fees go around in the Premier League. The Premier League's a different animal to to La Liga. There's a reason La Liga are desperately trying to like play a game in in the USA and and somehow managing to screw that up completely. Uh, Barca, like what, like Man United being the richest club in the world, having Pogba signed up for several years. Like, what's Pogba's asking price like if, if especially if he's agitating to leave what's his asking price considering what people at the club not called Jose Mourinho would value him at like it's going to be like 200 million right yeah. like Barcelona are not spending 200 million pounds on Paul Bogba it's just not yeah. happening like there's just there's zero percent chance that'll happen they live in this fantasy world where and I mean, again we've seen this before they, they genuinely believe that clubs will just drop their asking price because it's like because it's Barcelona or something I I, I don't particularly understand it um, you know it, the whole thing as well about Real Madrid being ready to go out and get Neymar and stuff like that. Real Madrid are about to do a very weird thing where they're about to refurb the stadium at, at huge cost for no particular obvious benefit, no 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 significant benefit I should say that there is an obvious benefit but but no like massive financial gain and they're going to get themselves into like half mil- half a billion euros of debt for what reason? So like, talk about them going and spending three hundred million euros on Neymar is fanciful. Barcelona doing the same for Pogba is also just unrealistic. So I think that Pogba has been led on a bit of a ride. Yeah. Because who could actually afford him? Um, I think Barcelona need to kind of work out what the hell they are and what the hell they're they're doing and and their new position in in the world order almost. But what I will say is that Pogba's probably going to get more money out of this somehow because yeah, as soon as yeah. they realise the boss move is going to happen they'll soften he signs a massive new contract becomes paid as much like he gets paid as much as Alexis Sanchez which probably is what he wants actually with all of this anyway surely Sanchez's position at United is unsustainable he's terrible well <laughs> they went out <laughs> and spent, been, like the worst they spent like a load of money on a 29 year old um, and gave him an enormous long term contract and a guy that's been playing every week since he was mm. 16, 17 
I kind of don't. They deserve what they get. I I don't. I really don't think it's hearts in it. Like you can kind of tell that, but the fact that a player like not seemingly at the top of his game or just after just after his peak would have the choice between going to the best team, well, basically the best team in the world, managed by Pep Guardiola, or going to like a dysfunctional team which would pay him more money. And he chooses when you choose a second option. It's not. I mean, it's not quite as extreme as Neymar leaving Barcelona to PSG, but it's like a similar category of decision, right? Well, that's different because you can at least you can at least see the ambition in the Neymar thing is that he wants to be the head of a new project yeah. that well, is perhaps promising. Now, I don't want it might turn out that way, but that's yeah. why he did it. But ultimately, no, he did it. No, he did it for like yeah. you can make that argument for Sanchez, though, can't you? Right, you yeah. looked at United and thought, "I can be the main man here." Where, whereas. Really? I think I think so because mm. United were playing poorly. He's their big, massive, marquee signing, and and he's clearly had assurances like from Mourinho that he's going to play. I thought it looked like they, they bought him because he was available. But but otherwise he's Riyad Mahrez at City, and it, and somebody with Sanchez's ego is never going to be Riyad Mahrez at City. Well, he, or he could back himself to be a first teamer to get into the first team. Yeah, I, th- I think but, I think he'd immediately be above Mahrez at City because like that sort of level because he'd be brought in as a first team guy. Like Pep wanted him. You know, Pep signed him before at Barcelona, didn't he? But I think he's just so. I think I think the fact that he made that decision suggests that tells you something about where his priorities lie. Don't forget as well that I'm sure Chile not making the World Cup last year would have been heartbreaking for him. He now he now must know he'll, never, he'll probably never play another World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden, you kind of think this is a guy who's like time at the top of the game. If he was ever at the top, I'm not sure. He's, I don't think he's ever quite as good as people said he was. Um, is over and I wouldn't be you know I think he's got kind of Beijing Guan or <laughs> Shanghai SIPG written all over him in a year or two's time and then maybe he'll go back I wonder uh, like, you know he's one of those players that go back to South America and then score 40 goals in the Libertadores or something um, anything more to add on Alexis Sanchez Manchester United and their relevant flaws no, no. nope least surprising wins of the week Cardiff nil Manchester City 5 Liverpool 3 <laughs> Southampton nil most surprising win of the week, Burnley for Bournemouth nil. Um, I don't know. Like Bournemouth have always got that in their locker, haven't they? Is what sometimes the kind of the bad away defeat. You you rarely associate Burnley with four goal wins. Like. That's true. That's true. Uh, I, I know two of those goals came late when uh, everyone's favourite Austrian international Ashley Barnes scored in eighty three and eighty eight minutes. But Bournemouth have been really really good, and Burnley have been really really bad so far. So this is just one of those kind of huge realignment games. That we get kind of this point of the season. The beauty of the Barclays, anyone can beat anyone. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. I mean, any given Saturday. Uh, Arsenal 2 Everton 0. Luke, you were at that yesterday. Yep. That looked like an absolute thriller. Uh, it was the second best sporting event I was at this weekend after AJ. Um, <sighs> yeah. This isn't the boxing podcast, pal. Keep it Com- coming soon, by the way. Keep um, it to Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, more so than Arsenal being particularly good, it was more a case of Everton being quite bad and the uh the referee and linesman also being bad because they missed the pretty blatant red card for Torreira in the first half and also Aubameyang's goal was offside so Marco Marco Silva was absolutely fuming after the game Everton are weird they just they've got some good players but it's kind of not really that cohesive and all their best chances basically came from Richarlison bullying Hector Bellerin and then ignoring all of his teammates and just spanking a shot on goal Um, maybe if he'd done that you know maybe if they'd played two weeks ago he would have had a bit more success because Czech has been struggling Czech was brilliant and kind of really really assertive off his line which has been quite unusual gave Theo Walcott a massive black eye which was fun cool Um, but yeah Everton are just kind of you know very very suspect at the back I mean could potentially come good but they're lacking that target man 
I mean, if Dominic Calvert-Lewin is starting as a lone striker, you're not really going to be holding Did you get a sense much. with Everton that they were like heading in the right direction? Or did they... No, no. Um, I mean, the fact that they've only won one game at this point, I think, is genuinely worrying. And, you know, they did start well and they were better than Arsenal in the first half, but you never really got the feeling they were going to win. And Arsenal have been doing this thing this season where they've been starting quite slowly and then just pulling away in the second yeah. half anyway. So, What do you make of Arsenal overall? Um, definitely better. I mean, the fact that they... <laughs> it's quite ironic that the first clean sheet they've managed of the season has come when Socrates has gone off injured in the first half and they've got holding at the back. But, um, yeah, they, they looked so much better for Lucas Torreira actually starting in the middle. Um, and also, it's like, for all the talk about Guanduzzi, who has been amazing and is 19, Torreira's only 22. And people kind of are already speaking about him like, you know, he's the most important player in this Arsenal setup. And you can, you can probably make an argument for that, but he's also incredibly young um, and raw. Like like I said, he should have been sent off and he does just he's a classic, fly into tackles. He's one of those players as well. Like, um, it's an absence makes the heart grow fonder sort of thing. Like, uh, you know, I remember uh, a couple of years ago when Palace had a player out injured and everyone was kind of like, oh, when he comes back, he's going to be great, whatever. And like the same with like Torreira. Well, I think it's been, he's been coming off the bench and he's been doing so well in like 20-minute cameos. Yeah, yeah. And so now he's starting, it's kind of like there's do you this feel like, But when you're an energetic player, it is easier to do yeah. better in those brief cameos, I think. Do you, it always like, has been. do you feel like Arsenal have an idea of what they're trying to do going forward? I th- I, yeah, I think so. I think he's really, Emery is really, really on something with... Lacazette starting up top with Aubameyang on the left and it's also you said this last week you like that don't you yeah it's it's so good and like when Aubameyang kind of pushes forward and it almost looks sometimes like they're playing like a proper old school 4-4-2 like when when they get flying forward and those two are kind of they link up so well and Lacazette he's only a small guy but he actually like does so much kind of dirty work in the middle of the pitch he drops quite deep can hold the ball up yeah and, and Aubameyang's so quick that he can like instantly kind of make that transition from a winger to bursting into the box so I think they are I think the kind of big puzzle at the moment is the midfield because the midfield basically needs to make up for the inadequacies of the defence and if he's playing it out from the back you know for all the kind of chat about Czech Czech playing a sideways pass to Mustafi isn't that hard like the actual problem will be Mustafi bringing the ball forward and working it to kind of Torreira and Xhaka so that's what they've got to work on but up top yeah I think the only question marks Ozil I, I just don't I don't see how Ozil's successful under Emery, to be blatantly honest. I just don't think it works. Terreira, Xhaka, Terreira, Xhaka. Thank you very much. Uh, this weekend, I'm not going to talk about the Carabao Cup because the Carabao Cup... What about uh, West Ham United nil, Chelsea nil? Uh, uh, <laughs> fortunately, Miguel's not here. So uh, we'll live without that. Uh, West Ham play Man United next week uh, at the London Stadium, which I'm sure will be thrills and spills. Arsenal play Watford at 3pm. Uh, Spurs go to Huddersfield who look awful Man City hosts Brighton Ugh. but the big one is at 5.30 where it's Chelsea Liverpool uh, it's the second time they play this week I think they're playing in the Carabao on Wednesday in Liverpool and then they play on Saturday at Stamford Bridge uh, what do we expect from this? Uh, so we were just talking off air to Liam Twomey of good man uh, good man uh, He's ESPN's Chelsea, Chelsea correspondent. Uh, and he was saying he thinks that Chelsea are very vulnerable to Liverpool. The fact of playing a back four high up the pitch with Marcus Alonso and David Luiz seems like the sort of dream scenario for Liverpool. Imagine all that. Imagine imagine, imagine how much Chelsea will give away the ball and how much space they will leave in behind them for Mane and Salah to run into. There's a very 
pleased with himself, Hispano-Celtic man, who wrote a piece on Friday <laughs> saying that, that Chelsea weren't as good as their results and stuff had suggested. Um, I've just realised how far away your microphone is from your mouth. Have you been speaking into I've, it earlier on? I've been sat like okay, all the way good. back all this time. Uh, you better not have been. Um, so yeah, like he, w- he was, I think, uh, I think he felt vindicated in his piece, right? That Chelsea probably haven't quite hit it yet. Um, it's not to say they won't, because obviously Sarri is a guy who wants to get his system kind of embedded into that team. But Liverpool look yeah. a bit like a, I don't know, some sort of like ferocious lawnmower with fire for blades. Yeah, I think Sarri said after the game that he thinks his team is still like a year behind Liverpool in development. Oh, uh, at least. Yeah, and uh, you know, in a year's time they might be that good, but for now he knows that they're not. I think the thing about Liverpool's season is that they've started so well that their their fixture list of having all the big games early on is actually going to benefit them because games like Tottenham away, I think you know, obviously they won at Tottenham away. I imagine they'll win at Chelsea on Saturday. Then they've got Manchester City at home coming up soon. They're playing better than that. They're playing better. If Liverpool can win all their big games before Christmas, then they can they can breeze to the title in the second half of the season. Well, I I think they are in a good spot, especially like you know. If Liverpool go out of the Champions League at the group stage for whatever reason, would they suddenly be Premier League favourites? Yeah, uh, you know why? Because the two seasons that Jurgen Klopp won Bundesliga with Borussia Dortmund, both times his team were out of Europe by Christmas because they did. That's cause a great. They, yeah, because they did so badly. I think the way that I mean, he has the the way that Klopp plays is obviously so physically demanding that it's much easier to sustain it over like a smaller number of games. And that means that by going out of Europe at Christmas, the team could fully focus on being as best they possibly could in the Bundesliga. Uh, and even 2013, when they got to the Champions League final and lost, or 26, sorry, 2018, when Liverpool got to the Champions League final and lost, in both of those years, the team kind of un- underperformed in the league. I kind of think with Klopp, it's either Europe or domestic, but not both. And therefore, if Liv- and if Liverpool to go out of the Champions League, which they could, because it's not an easy group, uh, then, yeah, I think they would definitely win the Prem. That is excellent stuff. That is a nugget Captain Birdseye would be proud of. Um, thank you for, for joining me today, Sailor. My pleasure. And, uh, Luke, you're a, you're a, a seaman. Uh, thank, thank you for joining <laughs> us, too. Uh, my <laughs> name is Ed Malian. This has been the Indie Sport Podcast. Uh, uh, Indie Football Podcast, because the Indie Sport Podcast would be previewing the Ryder Cup. But anyway, thank you for joining. Uh, as ever, get uh, behind us on social media, at Indie Football, uh, at Independent Sport on Instagram where we had loads of behind-the-scenes stuff from uh, AJ Povetkin on Saturday, oh, yeah. which Luke seems to think was an important sporting event. And the rest of us uh, will be focused on on the football for you next week, the podcast on Monday, pre- uh, reviewing Liverpool-Chelsea and then looking ahead to the Champions League. But until then, goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.